Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, that is really poor. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I bring greetings from uh, my better half, Delray. She's leading worship uh, at the church back in Schenectady in upstate New York, so couldn't be with me today. Um, and I want to thank Pastor Stephen for trusting me with the pulpit. You know, it says in Hezekiah chapter 12, verse 8, when the cat is away, the mice will play. <laughs> thank you for getting that. I did that two weeks ago when I was preaching, and I heard somebody flipping through their Bible looking for it. Like, no, no, that's, I just made that up. Anyway, so I do believe that today the, the word that God has laid in my heart is, is something that God wants, the Spirit wants to use to recenter us on Himself, on the Father, on the Son, on the Spirit, and on His kingdom. Because the world is so full of distractions today. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're living in pretty crazy times. Remember growing up and even now watching these semi-apocalyptic or apocalyptic movies and sitting watching and thinking to yourself, well, thank God that I don't live in that kind of a world. And yet here we are in a movie of our own making. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless your word to your glory and to our good in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is Commanded to Love. It's one of those messages which is really not for the faint of heart spiritually. Uh, when the Lord gave it to me, frankly, I was a little bit surprised and a bit taken aback because it's one of those that you can't really ignore. And you know the, the great privilege and burden of, of being a preacher is that when God gives you something, the reason that He gives it to you a week ahead of time is that He uses the week before you get to Sunday to test it on you and for you to submit yourself to the Word and to let the Word do something in you and with you. And that certainly has been happening. So I'm still in the midst of what I'm going to be preaching to you today. And I will be trying to live this out the rest of my life. So please have mercy on me because uh, I am in the process of the Holy Spirit dealing with some real deep stuff. This is definitely one of those messages that frankly I'm looking at a mirror as I'm speaking and behind the mirror is all of you good folks and those watching online. Um, I learned as a preacher many, 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 many years ago that to expect anybody to remember three points in a poem is foolishness. Because by Wednesday, I've forgotten everything that I said on Sunday. You know, if somebody were to ask me on Thursday, what was your fourth point again? I'd be like, dude, are you drunk? Like, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. What are you talking about? And so, in all seriousness, what I did learn, what the, what the Spirit taught me many years ago, is that in all the words that are spoken, He will take at least one thing and speak that one thing to everybody who sits under the Word. Right? And so, I don't know if this is counter to what you've been taught and to what you experience. I actually encourage folks to not take notes, but to rather be in the moment with the Holy Spirit and be listening for that one or two or three things that, that He is going to add to your spiritual journey and to your life with Him, because when He speaks it to you, He has expectations 
of that truth that He has put into your heart, and He is going to work in your life with it, whether you like it or not. Does that make sense? Because, thank God for the wonder of technology, you can always go and re-watch the message as often as you want. You know, it's not, about, it's not about how much can I remember. It is all about what am I allowing the Holy Spirit to use to make me more like Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great or greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all my teachings. It's like he's saying, those of you who claim to follow me, who believe in me, have received me as your personal Savior and Lord, I'm telling you that the most important thing that I measure your walk against is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is like the sprinkles and the ice cream, but the two cherries, what a terrible analogy. It just came to me. I should have thought of it first before I... Here we are. The two cherries and the ice cream are love for God and love for your neighbor. So, you know, when the Lord gave me this, I developed a habit in the last three years of when I read a commandment, I ask, why is that commandment there? What is it for? And then secondly, am I supposed to apply that commandment to my life now in my spiritual walk? with the Lord. Am I just learning scripture or is it one of those spiritual moments that God wants to use? Is it a pillar? Is it a marker in my life? And when I asked the Lord, what do you mean by this? Of all the things that Jesus could have said, what does your reply mean? And what the Spirit gave me is that these two commandments are not only what God expects from from us, But much more importantly, they are what he expects of us. There's a distinction between the two. Because there are things that God expects from us, more external things, acts of service. But there are things that God expects of us which are internal, which have to do with Christ-likeness. My fellow Christians... How many times have we done things for the Lord that were the right things to do, but our heart, soul, mind, and strength were not in them? How many times have we done acts of service for family, for friends, for strangers, even our enemies sometimes, just because the Bible said so? But if God were to look at our heart, and you know the Bible says that God looks at the heart, the Lord would see that our heart was just not in it. I didn't want to do it. I just did it because it was my religious duty instead of my Christ-like manifestation. Does that make sense? Again, many years ago, 
the Holy Spirit gave me this profound, for me, life-changing revelation, this understanding, capital U, that when you first become a Christian, uh, you relate to Jesus as your, as your Savior. Oh, Jesus has saved me. You know, you're brand new. I mean, you still do stuff as a young Christian that you don't know yet that you're really not supposed to do. You think things and have feelings and whatever. And through the process of growth and maturity and discipleship, you shift in your relationship with Jesus from Savior to Lord. Suddenly, when Jesus, when you have understanding that Jesus is my Lord, you suddenly find that some of the stuff that you used to do while He was my Savior, hallelujah, I call it the honeymoon phase spiritually. When He's Lord, you feel a level of conviction that you didn't feel before, and you kind of, oh wait, I, I really have to stop cursing now. Like, I really need, need to stop being a racist and think that all Italians are bad. Even if they are. Testing, testing. I'm Italian, so I can say that. Right? Suddenly under lordship, it's like, it's just growing up spiritually. You're just becoming more like Christ. Your spirit is more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But you know, when you walk even longer with the Lord, and if you're serious about your walk with God, I believe you eventually move into what I call the kingship phase. And when the king speaks, you even when you're speaking to Jesus as Lord, well, Lord, I don't know, really, when the King speaks, when the Father speaks, you just say, yes, King. Maturity. That's the goal of discipleship, is to get to that place where all of me is consumed by Christ, and all of me is attuned to Christ. So driving here um, and thinking through my message, the Holy Spirit just gave me this thought. Lorenzo, all the thoughts that you have, your, the, imag- the, the things you imagine that before you die, you're going to be like as mature as you can be, lay that to rest. You will enter my presence with so much work to still do. That's what eternity is for. But you cannot enter your rest. You cannot come into my presence willy-nilly, lazy, procrastinating, not working daily to become more like me. That affects your rewards in heaven, right? So I've long ago given up the idea of perfection. We are washed in the blood of Jesus. We are covered in His robes of righteousness. In the eyes of God, we are perfect. When He looks at us, He sees His Son. It's not about not making mistakes. It is about intentionally becoming more and more Christ-like. So something else that I'd never seen before in these verses in all my Christian walk is that from God's perspective, the great commandment, as this passage is known, from God's perspective is the great expectation. Now, God doesn't give us a command and then just leave it at that. There's an expectation that comes with the commandment. And on the one hand, personally, internally, it's about lordship. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And on the other hand, the flip side of that, discipleship. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's the other great commandment that Jesus gave just before he ascended to heaven to be with his Father? seated at the right hand of the throne. What is the other great commandment? Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. Make 
hard work. Use your hands, make, shape, form. Love your neighbors yourself. And so if we could use um, two other words to further explain or better understand lordship and discipleship, I would say surrender and service. Internally, daily my walk is surrendering my will to God. What a great word to use in the kingdom of God. What a terrible word when you look up its definition in the dictionary. To choose to lay down my weapons, my sense of self-protection, my life, and to commit myself into the hands of the person in military terms that I'm fighting against and entrust myself to their mercy. That's what surrender is. But in the kingdom of God, the best thing we can do, by far the perfect thing, is to lay down our flesh and our self-will and our selfishness and our own foolish, temporary, limited desires and truly surrender ourselves, all of our rights, our dreams, our expectations, and place them into the hands, in this case, not of our enemy, but of the lover of our souls, of our Creator, of the One who gives us breath every morning, and to entrust our lives to His leadership. And so I realized, I understand now, and this is why I was saying earlier on that, of course, you know, this is one of those messages, right? All right, let's make this completely practical. And let me pray that... No, no I was going to say that our neighbor doesn't see this message. But let me make this completely practical. So, the week after I preached this message, Dara and I moved into a new apartment. We'd been living with her parents. I got so tired of them because they're such difficult people. No, totally the opposite is true. They're amazing people. They're... <laughs> they are like a second set of parents to me, but it was just time for us to move out. We've got a nice little apartment. And uh, our neighbors have got gangivitis. Ganja pot. So, come on, folks. Somebody laugh. That is a really clever joke. Um, so, they across the hall, smoke cigarettes, smoke pot. One has a snippy barking dog that I want to strangle regularly. And on the very first night, the Holy Spirit taps me in the shoulder and says, Oh, uh, love your neighbors, yourself. <laughs> Would you strangle your own dog? I said, Yeah, if I had one. And he didn't stop biting. No, I'm kidding. Um, and that's how real this is, right? And the Lord says to me, the Holy Spirit, very next morning, first quiet time, Lorenzo, I'm not talking about... It's not about not disliking and not arguing with your neighbor. It's loving your neighbor. There's intent behind that. There's action that comes with that. It's looking out for their goodwill. This is how they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? The currency of the kingdom, if I can use that, that limited phrase, but the currency of the kingdom of God is love. God is love. His kingdom is a kingdom of love. We are His disciples. He created us in love. He keeps us in love. The very definition of the kingdom of God is love. 
And I realize that God has for me and for each of you, for this church, these two primary expectations of us, that we love Him first and very close behind, that we love our neighbor as ourselves. So again, I ask the question, why is that the case? Of all the things that God could expect of us, why does He expect these two particular things? And again, the Holy Spirit gave me something very precious that I've never thought of before. And those of you who have heard me preach before, you'll know that I love new things. I don't mean improved things. You know, sometimes you go to the store and it says new and improved. And I'm like, no, this is the same box of cereal with 30 more, 30% more for the same. I'm not talking, I'm talking new, something that hasn't existed before. And the Lord just gave me this revelation that we are more than Christ followers. The goal is that we become Christ becomers. Let me say that again. There are countless people who follow Christ, who obey His teachings. Their heart is not in it. Their life is not fully surrendered. They are not becoming like Him, even though they might act like Him. There are even secular people. I've met amazing atheists. No, I've met amazing people who are atheists, who are serving orphans and widows in Africa in a way that puts me to shame. Well, pure religion is taking care of orphans and widows and their suffering and not being corrupted by the world. So my point is, it's not enough just to be a Christ follower. Now, I'm intentionally rather using this phrase, it's much more important to intentionally become a Christ becomer. Romans 8 verse 28 says, you know this, I'm sure, most of you very well. All things work for good. All things work for good, or God works all things for good for those that love Him and live according to His commands, comma, that they might be conformed to the image of His Son. And the answer to the why question for me was the Lord saying, Lorenzo, even you loving me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself is to form you into the image of my son because God's great dream is to have a heaven full of people that look like Jesus. That's the goal. By the way, the highest compliment that anybody throughout all your life on earth could possibly give you is, that was Christ-like what you said. I think that's what Jesus would have said. That was Christ-like. You used to, but now you and your behavior. It's not just, oh, you're a good person. Oh, you're doing better. What does that mean? Because maybe I'll do worse next month. No, no. It's when there's been a true life change and you look at Scripture and the person matches you and says, this is literally who Jesus is. You have become like Him. He has made you like Him. And so let's look at these two words, lordship and discipleship. To me, lordship equals total, complete, almost obsessive love. Jesus expects us to love Him spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, physically. Or you could use these words with our intuition, with our intellect, with our emotion, with our energy. What does that mean, Lorenzo? Our thoughts, our feelings... And our actions 
display, they manifest love for God. You know, friends, can I say this kindly? The kingdom of God is completely opposite to the kingdom of Satan. There is nothing in God's kingdom that anybody could say, well, I, I, I think there's like 5% of the world system that looks like that. When Jesus entered ministry, when he was baptized in the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and the Father speaks, you see the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and he begins his journey. What are the first of everything that Jesus could have said? What are the first words that come out of his mouth? Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. He starts his ministry saying, this is my purpose over the next three years. I am bringing heaven to earth. It's called the kingdom of God. I'm going to, over these next three years, bring healing and deliverance and truth and and all those kind of good things, because my point, what I'm trying to do, not what I'm trying to do, what I'm going to do, is reintroduce on the face of the earth what Adam and Eve surrendered to the lie of the devil thousands of years ago. It's called the kingdom of God. And the destiny of mankind is not to get more intelligent and more capable and have faster Wi-Fi and be more educated and improved. The destiny of mankind is for me to return one day and bring the kingdom of God back down to earth for one final time. In the meantime, I'm going to show you in a broken, fallen, sinful world what it looks like so that you can prepare and you can love your neighbors and you can prepare gazillions of others. Does that make sense? And so for us to be able to live in that kingdom requires complete and total devotion to Christ and Christ-likeness. Okay, what does this look like practically? What does it look like? John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if, you know, it's, it's, do yourself a favor, and when you're reading the scriptures, especially the Gospels of John, the, the, the apostle of love, the disciple and apostle of love, it's crazy how many times Jesus uses the word if. In other words, he doesn't live in this false, expectation that just because somebody says they're a follower of his, well, that means that they completely are. It's, a, it's amazing how many times he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 1 John 2, 46. He who says, I know him, I know Jesus, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. No, I'm a Christian, but bro, you lie and steal and cheat and whatever. Like Jesus said, you're a liar and none of his truth is in you. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So Jesus says this to us. If you truly are mine, keep my word, 
my teachings and my commandments. The teachings are the easy part. Oh, I love learning about the teachings. And can I tell you what? Uh, by God's grace, I've been walking with the Lord now for 38 years, come November. And the more I understand about the word, of, the more I understand the word of God, and the more it affects and changes, and the, be, the more I become like Christ. Guess what? The more my flesh goes, no, not this year. Right? Because isn't it supposed to just become easier? Aren't you just be, so isn't your spirit supposed to be so strong that it just overcomes your soul and your heart? Like, aren't you supposed to be spiritually so... If I just pray enough and spend enough time in the Word, man, I'm just going to tell my feelings what to do. And your feelings are like... Anyway, you're in Boston at Salumeria Italiana on Richmond Street, which I was yesterday... And you put up ridiculous tweets about this place. It's not a church. It's, it's a salami shop. But you make it sound like it's a spiritual experience. And before you got here, you determined that you were not going to get Torone, Italian nougat. And you also don't like, really like the one covered in chocolate. Oh, my goodness me, they've only got two and they're covered in chocolate. And they're only $9.99. I mean, an emotion one. And this is so funny, and by the way, it is really delicious, but it's not as good as the pure one that has no chocolate. I'm not even, it's, it, it's such a silly example, and as I'm eating some last night, I'm like, I cannot believe that I'm so immature that I couldn't say no to, because you know what happened? My mind collaborated with my emotions and my stomach, and my brain said, I'm not lying to you, I mean, I, I I could say I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but hey, if it helps anybody, my brain goes, when are you going to be in Boston again? And it's only $9.99, and you only got one of them, and it's for you and Delray. There may be some left <laughs> by the time I get back to Schenectady this evening, you know. And then, seriously, you know, I'm driving back from the city. I'm like, what the, am I ever going to get this right? It's an innocent, silly example, but it's such a wonderful, actually easy-to-understand illustration of the fact that, that obeying the great commandment and living it and becoming Christ-like has to be an all-consuming thing. It can't just be a piece of what I do with my life. So I, I'm a procrastinator procrastinator, I think the P is a lot smaller than it used to be, and my wife tells me it is, so it must be, uh, and I do believe that that's true, but the instinct is still there. That's my big, my big struggle is, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it later, I think I can get to this by three o'clock today, and then the opportunity passes. Listen, it's a serious thing, you know, um, who's the guy who wrote the screw tape letters? C.S. Lewis, right? Um, in fact, I think it's in the screw, screw tape letters, and it's a very famous story where a chief demon says to a younger G, a demon, listen, don't worry about tempting them with lying and all that kind of stuff. Just get them to procrastinate. Because they'll read the Bible tomorrow. They'll put up their spiritual growth for another day. And then another day. And he'll do a quiet time Friday. And it's a bit shorter because now he's rushed. And, but don't worry. That, that's how people die. Just tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. 
So for me, when I think about lordship and loving the Lord my God for my heart, my soul, it's that practical. I have to discipline myself with the Holy Spirit's help to say, no, this is my time with God. Nothing interferes with it. And the discipleship, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, or therefore, because I have this authority, you go and make disciples of all nations. Listen to what he says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Not just that I've taught you. Teach them to obey, to observe the things that I have commanded you. In other words, he's saying to his disciples... You can only teach people what I've commanded you if you're living the commandments yourself. Otherwise, you just become a repeater, not an influencer or not a mentor. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't worry. I'm not expecting you to do this alone. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And so my point is that lordship, love the Lord your God, and discipleship, love your neighbor, are always connected in the Scripture. Two weeks ago, when, God, when I started working on this message, almost daily, now, wherever I read in the Scripture, I just see that the kingdom really is these two things. It's God and people. I've said this for the longest time. Now the penny has dropped. It's God and people. It's God and people. I end my day saying to the Lord, what did I do for you and others today? Because your expectation is that I loved you and I loved my neighbor. Anything else that I did, even if it matters, it doesn't matter as much. And so, really, my life has become, is becoming. I'm on an intentional journey with this now. And this is not a phase I'm going through. I'm reorienting my life towards this. God and people, God and people, God and people. And so, when he says, love your neighbors yourself, again, why? What? Who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It's family. It's friends. It's strangers. And here's the kicker. It's enemies. Yes. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Bless them. You know the story when he's teaching about enemies and he says it's like somebody coming to your home and you put a hot bag of coals on their head. Right? And so for the longest time, I thought, well, there it is. He says, forgive them, love them. It's like putting... And I'm like, wait a minute. But Jesus isn't cynical, and he's not sarcastic in nature. You know, I struggle with that for the longest time. And then I'm, I'm doing a tour in Israel... It was fantastic. We went to the Dead Sea and all over, and we had a Christian guide and a Jewish guide. And the Jewish guide, there were two things I remember. He says, you know that part in, the new, in your New Testament where Jesus talks about, it's like putting a bag of coals on, 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 on somebody's head? He says, well, you know, back in the day, it gets so cold in the desert. And by the way, the desert is desert, desert, de- like no trees, no sh- desert. So the fact that they have greenery growing there truly is a sign of God's hand. But he says, well, you know, when you traveled in those days, it was freezing cold. 
And so when you came to somebody's house, they would wash your feet because they were filthy and dirty from the road. That was a sign of their caring for you. But the f- quickest way for you to get warm would be to put, put a, li- a little bag of some of the not-so-hot coals and put it in a bag, on a linen bag, and put it on your head, and the heat would flow through your whole body. Hands up how many of you thought that the bag of coals was like a little trick, like a punishment? Yeah, of course. I heard preachers saying, ah, bag of coals. Well, it doesn't match with the nature of Christ at all. And so my point is that it's not, when we say neighbor, neighbor is everybody who's not you, who's not part of your immediate family in your house, including the people you really don't like. Sorry for the bad news. That's how the kingdom works. John 15, 12 to 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if, there's that if again, if you do whatever I command you. So the implication is that if you don't do, if I don't do what he commands me, I'm not his friend. More than ever before, there is this picture of Jesus in popular culture. And in parts of the church, no, let me rephrase that. In parts of religion, where there are churches that refer to themselves as churches, but believe in all sorts of popular customs and cultures, gay marriage, the LGBTQ+, whatever. I'm not judging the individuals. I'm talking about where there's an acceptance of what the Bible defines as sin. And can I say this for the record, by the way? Some of these larger churches that are stealing people blind, if your pastor ever asks you for money to buy a private jet, find another church. No, listen to me. For a quote-unquote man of God to get to the place where they are comfortable enough publicly to ask people to sacrifice financially for them to buy a second private jet, they must have drifted so far from the nature and practice and truth and commandments of Christ, you would be a fool to send them money that belongs to God that he's just entrusted to you. Does that make sense? So I'm not picking on a sin. I'm talking about things in the world that some churches uh, propagate and whatever. And Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, man. No, he's not saying I'm sorry. Jesus is saying, that does not line up with my commandments. These people are not my friends. So it's easy to do with family. It's easy to do with most of our friends, even with strangers. But it's tough to do with our enemies. So remember at the beginning of this message, I said that the Holy Spirit, I felt, had given me this word for me and for us to center ourselves. So I want to say a couple of paragraphs that are not from the scripture. I want to make some commentary that hopefully will, will, add, will help better explain what I'm saying for some of you. So if you're a Republican today, I'm sorry. I feel sorry for you. I'll pray for you. 
Did you like that? Somebody just woke up like, what? If you're a Democrat today, I feel sorry for you. I'll pray for you. And this is why I say this. Friends, I recently made the mistake of re-engaging with Facebook and was not prepared for the rubbish that people are putting up, pushing their political preferences, and then adding scripture completely out of context, even quoting the words of Jesus himself to back a political stance, and are taking temporary, meaningless, soon-to-be-forgotten power plays that politicians who don't care anything about you or your children or your church or your community are saying for you to vote for them so that they can have more power and money, the currency of Satan's kingdom and this world, instead of propagating the love of God, the kingdom of God, the truth of God. And on, I'm talking about like personal friends, people I've known for years. And uh, I said this to some of my friends in the church where we fellowship back home. And uh, I think they just listened to me because I'm older and I have an accent. But inside they were like, what? I thought he was a Christian. And I'm like, well, all I was, I was we're, we're talking about this because I try to talk about this every day because it's been so life-changing for me. And I look at them and I say, do you realize, listen to my words, that Jesus, in three years of ministry, which is the blueprint for us today and for all generations of Christians, never discussed or argued or got involved in politics and economics. Not one time. The only example is when he tells Peter to go to the lake, open the fish's mouth, and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, pay your taxes, yes, and give to God what belongs to God, which Peter, in John 21, means his life. One is temporary and earthly and will change from year to year, depending where you live and how much you earn. The other is eternal and determines your reward in heaven and your relationship with God forever and ever and ever. And here's why I say all of this. The only institution, because you might be thinking, what on earth does this do, have to do with this message? And this is what I'm saying. The craziness is getting worse and is going to get worse. I said to a group of friends the other day, you know, in 2040... We know this from census and from all sorts of uh, statistics and studies and surveys, Christian and non-Christian, that in 2040, it's only 20 years away, friends, only two decades, there will be more non-whites than whites in America. There will be way more young people because a bunch of boomers will have gone to be with Jesus or not. And some of you might think it's a good thing. Some of you might think it's a bad thing. It's just truth. Our country will be non-white 
speak two or three languages, be younger, and it's at its present rate way less spiritual than what it is today because the church is not speaking loudly and truly enough the message of the gospel. And this is what I'm saying to us this morning, encouraging us with friends. Please ignore the craziness because Jesus does. Never talked about politics, never talked about economics. Only talked about the kingdom of his father. Only lived to give glory to his father and to be good to those around him, to bring heaven down to earth. I'm not saying we live with our head in the sands, obviously not. I am saying that God is not concerned and his kingdom is not concerned and he will not give his Holy Spirit to things that are dying and passing away. He will give himself to things that he told us to give ourselves to, and that is to love him and to love people. You know, um, probably like you, I've now met two families, wonderful families. I've known them for years and years and years and years. Some of who are not speaking to other family members because they're voting for opposing parties. And I, you know, I'm nearly 59. I really have reached that age now, you know, that I used to... <laughs> tease my father and my father-in-law about because it's true as you get older you tend to get a bit bolder right because you've made most of your big mistakes and if the woman who's with you actually still really loves you and apparently Delray does and your kids love you and you've got a couple of friends like you're top of the world man you are free to either say crazy stuff or to say really good stuff and you know I've said to both these younger families let me understand this correctly you are not speaking to your brother because he's voting for Trump and you're going to vote for Biden. So in a country that's going to be more non-white than white, younger, etc., 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 the best two options we have in 2020 is two old white guys who can barely speak English properly. And you're fighting with each other over two people who equally represent the system of this world. And you're willing to lose time, weeks or months or even years with your brother and his children because of total strangers that you will never meet. And even if you did, all they would try to do is take whatever you have from you and put it into their back pocket. I literally, I looked at the guy and I said, how old are you? And he said, 38. I said, I don't mean your actual age. I wanted to say, are you four? Like, What? Your pet cat doesn't even think like this. It's your blood brother. You and him came out of your mother's womb. Like God has made you. You love the Lord. You love each other. And you know, he cried. And a few days later, he called me. He actually texted me. And he said, thank you so much for that rebuke. I said, what rebuke? He said, what you said on Sunday after church. I said, that wasn't a rebuke. That was an encouragement. He said, well, I called my brother and we've forgiven each other. And it's a bit tense, but you're right, you know. And I said, it's got nothing to, I'm, I don't need to prove anything to anybody. I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. Who's more your neighbor than your brother? Does that make sense? Friends, we the church, as I bring this to a close, we are the only, the only institution who has most of what is required to bring our country back to a place of normalcy and stability. 
And in one word, it's love. It is turning the other cheek. It is being okay with losing an argument that's never going to go anywhere and isn't going to change anything, by the way. You, do you ever yell at the TV? Does anybody here yell at the TV or are you all too spiritual? Okay. Has the TV ever stopped its programming and said, oh, thank you, Bob. I hear you. And you know what? I'm going to change everything now. Right? No, of course not. What we can do, though, what we can do is start our day in love with Jesus. I did it this morning. I'm, sleep I'm staying over at Stephen's place. Man, that cat is odd. But I'm staying over at Stephen's place. Scared the living dead outside of me. Have you seen the cat? It's black and it's got these huge, like, golden eyes. And I'm, you know, I'm not, since I've had kids and now a grandkid, I'm, I'm not anti-pet, but I'm not like a pet person, you know? So I'm just going upstairs. I'm looking for the bathroom. I didn't know there was one downstairs. And I turn the corner and I just see these two rings because I couldn't find the light switch. I jumped backwards. I wanted to cast out something in the name of Jesus. No, I'm exaggerating. But I really got such a fright. And it's just looking at me. And I'm like, oh, oh, it's a cat, you know. And I go to pick it up and it runs away as cats do, silly animals. Anyway, why am I telling you this? Wait, there was, there was a reason for this. Love is... Oh, yeah, sorry. So anyway, so then as I'm going to sleep, I was sleeping on the couch, and as I'm going to sleep, I hear this little rustle, and I just said out loud, if you think you are going to lie on me, you're going to die. Like you, No, I didn't say that. I thought it, but I didn't say it. No. And you know, every time I... Every night and every morning. It's been a habit I've had for over 20 years. Um, even with, when Delray's next to me in the bed, she knows. I raise my hands and I say out loud, I love you, Father God. I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Son. I thank you, Spirit. I praise you, Lord, for another wonderful day. Amen. And the first thing when I wake up in the morning... I love you, Father God. And, I, and, and I, I raise my arms on purpose. I want to take an action. And I make a point. It's not that God needs me to do it. I need to do it. Because this is my theology. If the Lord has seen fit to give me another day to take breath, shouldn't my first breath be about Him? Shouldn't, if He has seen fit to give me another day to live through to the end of Shouldn't my last breath be about him? And so you can have your own version of this. But this is what I'm saying, friends. We wake up, we commit ourselves to God. We say, Lord, I'm going to love you with every part of me. I am your vessel. I am your temple. Use me today to love my neighbor as myself. Because for those of you who are good at maths, this is logical. If every one of us is living like that and being Christ-like and Christ-becomers, do you know what real change would actually come to our country and that God would receive the glory for it? Not you or I or any politician. So won't you bow your heads with me, please? And let's pray. And I'm going to ask each one of us today, I will do it when I drive back my three-hour drive again, but I'm going to ask each one of us somewhere in the day today,
to just find a quiet place, lock the door, take your Bible, and ask yourself the question, not the Lord, ask yourself the question, do I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? And ask yourself a second question, do I love my neighbor as myself? Or am I actually a racist? Or do I think that I'm better? Or are those people too whatever for me to reach? And probably like me, you will find that no, you don't love the Lord as much as you could and you don't love your neighbors as much as you should. And then apologize and ask for forgiveness and repent and ask the Holy Spirit to come into you and to fill you with His strength and His enablement. And surrender your life once again to the Lord. Lord, I, uh, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name, in the sweet almighty power of your Holy Spirit, for how simple yet profound you make the Christian walk for us. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have 500 things we have to do, but you've just given us two to love you with everything and to love our neighbors, ourselves. And Lord, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray that this church, the reputation this church will have, if it doesn't yet, is that that is the place where God is loved and where everybody is loved. That is a place that I went to and I was embraced and received. And because of the way that I was loved by the people, I have entered into a love relationship with God himself. And if you are sitting here today, and if you're watching today, and you are intrigued or amazed or challenged by this Jesus that I've been speaking about, but you've never met him personally, you didn't know that you could, I encourage you and I invite you today to just open your heart and you a simple prayer. He's listening. You just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to save my soul. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I want to love you. I want to know how to love people. And just receive him into your heart. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he says he is, and if you confess it with your mouth, that you will be saved. And then if you're watching, you can just contact the church office, speak to Pastor Stephen, uh, you can speak to any of the leadership team here. They'll help you and guide you. And then come and join this amazing family of God. But if you're somebody here today under, under, the, under my voice and, and God has spoken to you and said that one thing or those two things to you, take them home, give them to Him, and allow Him to shape you and conform you into the image of Jesus.